As, as the kids go, I want to ask you a question that you can think about. Try to answer it in your mind. My question is this. What is the difference between teaching and preaching? Is there a difference? What is the difference between teaching and preaching? There are different words in English. There are also different words in the Bible, in the Greek. And they mean different things. They, there's overlap, but they mean different things. Teaching is aimed at your head. It's aimed at your brain. Right? And the goal of teaching is to convey information. Right? A good teacher is going is to convey information that you didn't know before. And is going to convey it in a way that makes sense. And you're going to walk away from a good teaching knowing something new that you didn't know. You've been taught. You've learned. Preaching is not aimed so much at the head, at the brain. It's aimed at the heart. And the goal of preaching is not so much that you would know something that you didn't know before, but that you would be transformed. The goal of preaching is that God takes his word and by his spirit plants it in his heart and changes us and shapes us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. So that when we walk out of hearing preaching, we don't just know something we didn't know before, but we're changed. We're different. We're transformed. That's preaching. I mention all of that because in this series of tough topics where I'm trying to answer questions that people are raising, we're leaning a little more in the direction of teaching, just by the nature of the questions that are being asked and I'm trying to answer. But I just want to say, if all we do is walk out of here knowing something that we didn't know before, then we haven't done much. We haven't accomplished much. Right? And so even though these sermons are leaning a little more towards the teaching side, my goal and my prayer and my hope is that we're still being transformed by the power of Scripture preached. And that we walk out of here not just knowing something we didn't know, but that we walk out of here changed and transformed. That's my prayer. And so this morning we're going to try to answer these tough questions. We're going to try to answer, well, why, why was Jesus baptized? If baptism is about sin, why was Jesus baptized. And what was the deal with that Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove? Did he not have the Holy Spirit before? Was that the moment when he received the Holy Spirit? What was happening there? And how does Jesus's divine nature interact with his human nature? Those are hard questions. Those are tough topics. And we're going to try to answer them. But more importantly, we're going to trust that in the answering, God is going to transform us and change our hearts. So let's pray to that end. Holy Father, thank you for gathering us and thank you for that we've now come to that special moment in the week when we as a family sit down at your table in order to be fed. And so I pray that you, we, you would feed us well. We do not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And so I pray that we would feed well, that we would read and understand your word. But I pray that the understanding wouldn't stop in our heads, in our brains, but that by your Spirit you would transform our hearts and that we would walk out of here changed. In Christ's name, amen. All right. Well, the verse, the person who asked me these questions, there was a particular verse in the Bible that sparked these questions. And so I'm going to start there 
And that is the book of Acts, and Acts in chapter 10 and verse 37, which is not what I'm going to preach on, but this is where the inquiry started. In Acts 10 and verses 37 and 38, Peter is speaking. He's addressing a Gentile crowd, and he says this, You yourselves know what happened throughout all of Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And it was that verse, you know how that is sometimes, you just read a verse that you've read your whole life, but it hits different. And this person said, what does that mean that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit? What, what is that about? And so that question then uh, led us to the baptism of Jesus, which is told in multiple Gospels, but we'll let, look at it in the Gospel of Matthew. So in order to make sense of what it means that God anointed Jesus with the Spirit, we'll, we'll, we'll read the story of when John baptized Jesus. That's in Matthew in chapter 3 and verse 13. And that we do have ready to project for you, I, I believe. Or, if you're reading along in a pew Bible... then you can find it on page 784. All right, Matthew 3, starting in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now, it's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. When I read those verses, here are the questions that come to my mind. I got three. One, why was Jesus baptized? Two, why does the Holy Spirit show up here? And three, why does the Father say what he says? Okay, if we can answer those three questions, we will have done well this morning. So first, why was Jesus baptized? John was baptizing people with a baptism of repentance for their sin in order to prepare them for the arrival of the Messiah. Right? That was his mission. That was his ministry. A baptism of repentance, preparing the way for his cousin Jesus. Now, Jesus is God. Therefore, he never sinned. He's, Jesus is the Messiah, He's not, he's not preparing for the arrival of the Messiah. He is the Messiah. So why does he come to John for baptism? It would appear that John the Baptist himself had that very same question. Right? In, in, in verse 13, he says, it says, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him. Right? John said, I need to be baptized by you. What, what's going on here? What are we doing here? This is not right. I'm not baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And then Jesus answers him and says, all right, let it be so for now. Okay, this is how we're doing this, John. Let it be so for now. It is fitting for us. Why? 
to fulfill all righteousness. That's why we're doing this, John, to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. All right, so there's Jesus' answer to our question. Why was Jesus baptized? Well, he was baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness. That's what he said. All right, what does that mean? Well, I, I believe it means this. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, infinitely perfect, infinitely pure, came to earth in order to identify with sinners like us, in order to stand in our place and atone for our sins on the cross, and by so doing, clothe us with His righteousness. That was His mission. It's why He came, to identify with us, to represent us, to make us righteous. That's what he's talking about, I think, when he talks about fulfilling all righteousness. He's talking about his divine mission to make his people righteous. So in the name of solidarity with us, he submitted himself to John's baptism, even though he himself did not need to be baptized, because he had nothing that he needed to repent of. It's sort of like, as I think about that, I think of this legendary story. I've told it before, but I'll tell it again. Uh, it's, it's when the king of Denmark is during World War II. The king of Denmark is informed by the Germans that they're going to force all Jewish people in Denmark are going to have to identify themselves by wearing uh, this yellow Jewish star patch on their clothes. If you're Jewish, you have to wear this so that we know who you are. The king of Denmark was not Jewish himself, but he did not like the law. And so when he made the announcement to his people about this patch that Jewish people were going to have to wear, he himself was wearing the patch on his own clothes as he made the announcement, which was his symbolic gesture of saying, look, I know this is an unjust law. I don't like this either, but I'm with you. Okay, you're not on your own. I stand with you, even though I'm not Jewish myself. We're in this together. Okay, it's a great story except for the fact that it never actually happened. Uh, that doesn't matter that it didn't happen. That story is going to keep being told forever. I've, I've heard that story told in multiple sermons, told as a historical fact. The reason that people love that story, the reason that preachers are going to keep telling that story, is because it's beautiful to think that a king, right, the king of Denmark, a king would lay down his rights. Hey, he had nothing to worry about. He was safe but he would lay down his rights and stand in solidarity with an oppressed people. I know I have all the privilege. I know I have nothing to worry about, but I'm going to lay that down, and I'm going to stand alongside of you in solidarity with you. I'm, I'm with you. Okay, that's touching, but we don't, we don't need to tell a made-up story in order to make that point. A, a, a far more extreme example of that really happened in history, the king, the king of kings, came down from heaven in an incredible act of solidarity. And he didn't just put a patch on his arm, but he actually took on flesh. Eternal God took on flesh, became a human, became a baby boy in order to identify with us, in order to stand with us, in order to represent us. It's why he came. It's the point of the incarnation. He came to be with us, to be like us, except for our sin, in order to represent us. So he was baptized, not for his own sake, not for his own sin, which he didn't have any, but he was baptized for the sake of his solidarity with us, because he's with us, because he's for us, because he's one of us. That's why. 
It's, it's absolutely beautiful and staggering and overwhelming to think about that. Not only did God take on flesh and enter into the human drama, but when he did that, he did it in a personal and intimate way. He didn't, he didn't take on flesh and then keep himself locked away in a palace where no one could get to him. He didn't, he didn't take on flesh and then walk the streets behind a ring of bodyguards so no one could speak with him. He walked among us. He ate the food that we ate. At Passover time, he went to the temple. Why? Because that's what Jewish people did at Passover time. And he was with them. And when it came time to inaugurate his public ministry, he submitted himself to John's baptism, not because he had any sins to repent of, but because he came to represent those who did, like me and like you. I'll tell you another true story. Uh, This is a story about a man named Wilfred who was attending a Christian conference in Switzerland. He was uh, enjoying the conference immensely, being so blessed by it. And then uh, one morning during the conference, he got a call. He was told to report to the office. There was an urgent call waiting for him. He found out it was his sobbing wife on the phone informing him that his nine-month-old son had suddenly died that morning in the crib. Wilfred said the news brought him to the lowest point in his whole entire life. He went from being so up and so happy to being devastated. He said he felt angry at God. He felt heartbroken. He felt alone. He felt like he was just walking in a haze. There was nothing to do but buy a train ticket and start making the train journey home for his son's funeral. On the train, there's a man with a Bible talking to two younger men. And the two younger men were clearly hostile to the Christian faith and to the message that the man with the Bible was speaking. Wilfred's sitting there listening to this happen. They argue. At one point, one of the young men says to the man wielding the Bible, if God is so loving and kind, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? In fact, why does God allow little children to die? What kind of love is that? Now, Wilfred is sitting there hearing this. And his first impulse is to agree with that man and to jump in and say, yeah, what kind of God is it that would let babies die? But then, here's what he says, his own words. He says, in that moment, a strange transformation took place in my heart. And I leaned over and I said this. Do you mind if I join this conversation? I'll tell you how much God loves you. He loves you so much, he sent his only son to die for you. Now, the young man was not satisfied with that answer. And he said, well, fine, it's easy for you to say things like that. That's a totally theoretical statement that has no bearing on the real world whatsoever. And Wilfred said, no, no, no. I am not sitting here distanced from the real world of pain and suffering and death. In fact, the reason I'm on this train is because I am heading home for the funeral of my nine-month-old son. He died a few hours ago, and his death has given the cross a whole new meaning for me. Now I know what kind of God it is who loves me. Now I know today, a little better than I did yesterday, what sort of God it is that I worship. I love and worship a God who willfully 
gave his son for me. You see, the incarnation puts evil and, and suffering and sadness in a whole different light. Right? God, God is not indifferent to those things. God came and experienced those things right along with us. That word, solidarity, I keep using that word, it, it, it takes on a whole new meaning when you think about the fact that God established solidarity with us. He's for us. He's standing with us. He became one of us so that he could represent us. And we get a picture of that in the way that Jesus submits himself to baptism. That's what's being said by Jesus to us at his baptism. I'm with you. I'm for you. I came here to do this, to identify with you. That's why he was baptized. All right, next question. Why does the Spirit show up here? I think the answer to that question provides us with a beautiful picture of the interdependence and oneness within the Trinity. Jesus, this referred to often as the second person of the Trinity, submits himself to the authority of the Father, the first person of the Trinity, and he is empowered for his mission by the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Right? They're all working together. They're all co-equals in the plan of salvation. They're co-equals, but they have different roles to fill. Right? This is why when Jesus gets to the temple and he preaches his first public sermon in Luke 4, the first words out of his mouth are, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Holy Spirit has a direct and vital role to play in the unfolding of the plan of salvation, and his appearance at Jesus' baptism is indicative of that. That's not to say that the Spirit wasn't already in him. The Spirit was already in him. He was already Spirit-filled. But this moment, right at the outset of Jesus' public ministry, shows the essential role of the Spirit in God's plan of salvation. Right? And I think that's probably all we need to say on this point, except perhaps I'll make the note in passing that I don't, I don't really think that Matthew intends us to literally picture a bird on Jesus' shoulder. Maybe uh, but I don't think so. It says that the Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove. Like a dove. I take that to mean it wasn't an actual dove, but that there was something dove-like in the way that the Spirit flitted down and traveled and descended upon Jesus. I, to me, it's probably not entirely unlike the way we're told in Genesis 1 that the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. There's a, I, I, so I could be wrong about that. I don't think it was a physical dove, but there's no doubt that it was that people saw something. There was something. Matthew says the spirit appeared in bodily form. We, we, we don't know what form that might have looked like. And in this case, Matthew seems to be saying, look, hey, it was like a dove. You can use your imagination if you want to picture it more than that. I believe that this descending of the spirit was for our benefit, not his. He already had the Spirit. He knew the Spirit was with him. But, I mean, if you think of it this way, Jesus, Jesus has been in on this plan from the start, right? Jesus was part of the planning committee that came up with the plan of salvation. He knows his own role. It's a hard role. He knows the Father's role. And he knows the Spirit's role. It's for our benefit that it's happening this way, in this, in this public way. Right? It's sort of like at the baptism this morning, right? They, the parents up here knew the questions I was going to ask. They had already affirmed them, but they did it publicly. Why? For your benefit. 
for our benefit so that we can experience this publicly together. I believe that's sort of like what's happening with the Spirit descending on Jesus. It's for our benefit so that we could experience that. It's, it's kind of like, like, let's say you're at a public event, some sort of event where there's, where there's VIPs, I don't know, a concert or something, and you get to the concert, and you are, let's just imagine, you are a VIP. You're a very important person, and someone greets you and has a lanyard, a little plastic badge, and puts it over your neck and says, here, put this on. And it says VIP on it. And they say, wear this, and because you have this, you'll get, to, you'll get backstage access. You'll get to go wherever you want to go. Now, presumably, if you are a very important person, you already know that. The badge isn't for you. It isn't for you to know that you're a VIP. You know that. The badge is so that other people will see it and that they will know that you are a VIP and that you get to go wherever you want to go. Right? I think it's like that with the descending spirit at Jesus' baptism. He knew who he was. He knew that he was already spirit anointed. But what happened at his baptism with the descending of the spirit, attended by the voice of the Father, was so that we would know. But for our benefit. To my mind, that does raise the question about, well, when did he know? When did he know that he was the Son of God? That question puts us on very speculative ground because the Bible doesn't explicitly answer that question. My guess is that his divine identity, his role in salvation probably dawned on him incrementally over time. We know that he grew physically over time, started small and grew. We know he grew emotionally over time. The Bible tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He, he developed over time. So my guess is that Jesus probably learned how to read incrementally over time, just like anyone else. And my guess is that he probably discovered his identity as the Son of God over time. I might be wrong about that, but that's my guess. It, it does appear, though, that by the time he's a young man of 12, he knows. He knows who he is because we find him at the age of 12 in the temple teaching the religious leaders and referring to the temple as his father's house, right? So it seems that by then he knows. If I'm right then by the, the, about that, then by the time we get to his baptism, Jesus knows exactly who he is. Jesus is full of the Spirit. But this scene at Jesus' baptism, as I've said, is for our benefit to show the interdependence of the three members of the Trinity. And that brings us to our last question. Why does the Father say what he said? Here's the obvious answer to that question. He says what he says because he's a proud father. Right? God loves Jesus. I, I, I know, you and I love Jesus. We love to talk about him. We love to sing about him. It's good to be reminded that God the Father feels the same way, only infinitely more so. Any father here who has a son knows what it feels like to look at your boy and to just feel your heart bursting with love for that kid. In a way, that's what's happening here. But on a way bigger scale, right? God the Father looking down at God the Son as God the Son embarks on his mission, which they have planned together since before the foundation of the world. And, he, and he's a proud father. And he's looking down and he's pointing and saying, that's my boy, I love him. Now that's the obvious answer, but I also think there's more going on here. Because the words that are used are intentional, and they are intended to remind us of things that were said about the Messiah in the Old Testament. 
I believe that the Father, in speaking these words at this moment, is intentionally quoting Psalm 2 and Isaiah 42. Psalm 2, 7 says, I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, and today I have begotten you. And then the rest of the psalm speaks of the Messiah as as the God-appointing, reigning, and ruling king who's sovereign over all nations. When God quotes this text at Jesus' baptism, he's telling the crowd that Psalm 2, that ruling, reigning king, that's all about Jesus. And then he quotes Psalm 42, which says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. Right? Saying, saying this is my son, in him I'm well pleased, echoes the words, in whom my soul delights. And Isaiah 42 is not all about a reigning and ruling king. It's about a servant, a servant of the Lord who will be gentle and who will bring justice. It's a picture of servanthood and redemption. And at the baptism of Jesus, the Father saying, my beloved son is both those figures. He's the reigning Messiah King and he is the humble servant of the Lord. He will bring judgment to the nations, but he will also bring salvation to God's people. And those words from God the Father are the ultimate endorsement of the ministry of the Son. The words of the Father to the Son with the Spirit descending down upon the Son demonstrate that the rescue mission of redemption involves all three members of the Trinity. All right, well, it's been a quick tour, but we've answered our three questions. Why is Jesus being baptized? Out of solidarity and identification with sinners like you and I. What's the role of the Holy Spirit in all this? Well, it demonstrates the interconnectedness and the interdependence of the members of the Trinity, all working together for the plan of salvation. And why does the Father say what he said? Well, he's putting his seal and his stamp of approval on his only begotten son whom he loves. He's telling us that his son is both the reigning messianic king and the humble servant of the Lord at the same time. And how do we apply this information to our lives today? How will we be changed? How will we be transformed? Well, sometimes the application of a sermon is simply this. Believe. Believe that Jesus is fully divine and that he is fully human. Worship him. Be constantly amazed that he would lay down his life for sinners such as ourselves and walk the path of faithful obedience to his teachings, to his commands, and to his instructions. That's the application. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful. We'll, we'll, never, we'll, we'll never be thankful enough, but we are so thankful that you came to be with us, that you are for us, that you walked amongst us, that you identified with us, that you represented us on the cross, that you lived the life that we couldn't live, that you died the death to pay for our debts, and that you rose again, defeating death. You did all that for us, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and then you sent your Spirit to come and dwell in us. And so by the power of your spirit, I do pray that you would empower us to walk in your ways, to walk a path of faithfulness to your words, to live lives of worship to the glory of your name. It's in your name we pray. Amen.